beginning Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, Emor el Kohanim, speak to the Kohanim, Bene Aharon, the children of Aharon, Ve'amarta alehem, and speak to them, Lenefesh lo yitama be'amav. So this is the law that tells us Kohanim are not allowed to become uh, impure. They're not allowed to have contact with uh, dead bodies, corpses. This is called corpse tum'ah, and Kohanim men, male Kohanim, have that uh, restriction. And the Torah says that uh, God tells Moshe, speak to the Kohanim, and that the older Kohanim have to uh, warn the younger Kohanim. So that's to come from, from the top. Now, this is only talking about Kohanim that are legitimate, as opposed to a, as opposed to a Kohen that is a halal. What is a Kohen that's a halal? Let's say a Kohen marries a divorcee. So the child is not a Kohen anymore. That child is considered unsanctified because since the Kohen cannot marry a divorcee, so the child, even though his last name is Kohen, but he does not have the status of a Kohen, so he can go to a, uh, to a cemetery because he doesn't have the rules of Tum'ah. However, the law tells us that if you have a, a Kohen that has a blemish, meaning he's a, it's called the Baal Mum, so even though somebody that's blemished might not be able to serve in the Beit HaMikdash, but he's still considered a Kohen, and the laws of Tum'ah apply. What now? What are you taking? Yeah, I'm just... Chargers. I just want to put them in one bag. Um, the for breakfast. Hi. So the Torah says over here that now there's certain types of corpses that the Kohen is allowed to come in contact with and that is called a mit mitzvah. Mit mitzvah is if somebody, God forbid, dies and there's nobody to bury it. Let's say the Kohen is in the middle of a field and he sees a dead body, a corpse, and there's no Hebra Kadisha, there's no burial society. So that's a mit mitzvah that does not have anybody to tend to. The law is that the Kohen is allowed to bury a mit mitzvah. There are other exceptions as well. Ki'im the she'ero hakarov elav. She'ero is his wife. The Kohen is allowed to metameh to his wife if she passes away, also uh, his uh, mother and father, his son and his daughter, and his brother. Torah says that even uh, his sister, his virgin sister, so long as the sister isn't married, the Kohen can be metameh. Once she gets married, so then already, uh, and she was, you know, consummated the marriage with somebody else, when she dies, a Kohen cannot be metameh to his married sister. So that's why it says, uh, that she was not married to somebody else. So basically those are the seven relatives that a Kohen can be metameh. Again, they are his wife, his mother, his father, 
his son, his daughter, his brother, and his unmarried sister. Seven relatives that a Kohen can be met to man. And that, this law, by the way, applies even today. So that's why God forbid, if a Kohen, let's say, loses uh, a relative. So you'll see them in the funeral. They'll be in the actual room. Now, even though normally the Kohanim go to a separate room, that's when it's not a relative, then they're not allowed to become Tameh. But if it's one of their seven relatives, they're allowed to actually stay in the room. Unless it's a sister that is married, and then they have to go into a separate room. Now the Pasuk says, Lo ba'al be'amav Now, the Torah comes along and says, that the Kohen cannot be metamed to his wife, who is forbidden to him. For example, let's say a Kohen married a divorcee. So that marriage is an illegal marriage. I mean, they are married, but it's marriage in sin. And therefore, let's say she dies, the Kohen cannot be metamed for his wife that is invalid. So it's only talking about a wife that is legal to him. Uh, now we have a, another law that teaches us over here that a Kohen is not allowed to rip out his hair uh, at the time of uh, death. It was a custom in the olden days that the Gwim would pull out their hairs. So the Kohanim are not allowed to do that as well. The question over here is, not only Kohanim are not allowed to do it, even regularly Israel are not allowed to do it. So why does the Pasuk mention this to Kohanim? So uh, we come along and uh, we learn that any part of the head is going to be forbidden. And therefore, uh, we, learned, uh, both, we, we learned the laws from a combination. Uh, over there, it only mentioned part of the head. Over here, it mentions all the head. So therefore, the, the, the learning is to teach us that any part of the head, the Kohen, or for that matter, anybody is not allowed to rip out the hair. Which we learned already, that uh, you're not allowed to use a razor. Again, we learned that before. We also learned as well that you're not allowed to make scratches. We said that, that was the olden days. They used to make scratches on their body. Uh, at the time of a uh, funeral. So that's forbidden as well. Now the Torah says, Kiddushim Elohim, the Kohanim have to act in a, uh, in, in, in a holy way. They bring the sacrifices of God. They're bringing the food of God on the Mizbeach. And now the Torah comes and tells us some ladies that Kohanim are not allowed to marry. So the first one is called Isha Zona. A Kohen is not allowed to marry a Zona. A Zona is a Jewish lady that went with somebody that is forbidden to her. Once she goes with somebody that is forbidden to her, she has called a Zona, and now she cannot marry a Kohen. So for example, let's say you have a, uh, a Jewish lady, and she went, God forbid, with a Goy. Not allowed to go with a Goy, Immediately she becomes a zona. She cannot marry a kohen. Now, it, you'd be surprised. Today the law applies. So you have, let's say, some uh, kohen 
that's getting married, Mr. Towel's getting married, Mr. Cohen is getting married, Mr. Dweck is getting married, and uh, he has some girl over here that uh, has a bad reputation while in. And she was in some college dorm, and who knows what they're doing. They don't do the best things in those places. And he doesn't, uh, he doesn't realize. And all of a sudden, she comes to the rabbi, and she says, by the way, I have to tell you, rabbi, that uh, you know, I didn't do, I was with, uh, you know, not the right people. That makes her zonah. She's not allowed to marry Kohen. So that's a very poor Kohen. You have to be very, very careful uh, when they're marrying to make sure that their uh, uh, spouses are uh, not, you know, not illegal to them. Halala, they cannot take. Uh, halala is a girl that was born from a bad marriage of a Kohen. So, for example, let's say you have a Kohen married to a divorcee. That's an illegal marriage for a Kohen. The daughter is going to be called the Halala. And Halala cannot marry a, a Kohen uh, as well. Furthermore, furthermore, the Torah says, Isha Girusha. We know that already. A Kohen cannot marry a divorcee. That law is well known. Kikadoshu and we have also again, you have to be sanctified. Again, he's bringing the sacrifices to God. He must be kadosh. Fine. Now, besides the restrictions of Tum'ah, besides the uh, limitations on who the Kohen is allowed to marry, we have laws that we must treat the Kohen with extra kavod. One of the ways we treat the Kohen with extra kabod is we have to give him the first aliyah. So therefore, we have Kohen. He goes for first. Or, for example, if let's say you have some type of honor, always the Kohenim go first. You have Zimun, let's say. Friday night, you make the Zimun, let's say. There's a Kohen at the table. You have to offer it to him first. And if you have, let's say, you know, a good piece of meat, you give it to the Kohen first. The Torah does prefer uh, certain preferences uh, that the Kohenim Again. Finally, it says, If let's say you have the daughter of a Kohen, and she, um, she, uh, she, let's say, was engaged and she committed adultery. Well, she was married and she committed uh, adultery. So the, uh, the Torah comes along and says that she is desecrating her father's house. Uh, she embarrasses the kehuna, And they come along and say, cursed is the man that raised such a, you know, uh, a girl that does such things. And the Torah says her punishment is serifa. Her punishment is that she is uh, burnt. Punishment, death penalty. of a, Again, a bad kohen that's engaged or married that commits adultery. So the Torah says she is put, she is put to death by my fire. Now, they don't burn you. They actually take hot lead and they make her drink it and then uh, automatically uh, she'll die. That's one of the four major, major punishments. So, even though a normal adulterer does not get such a severe punishment, the daughter of a Kohen gets a more strict punishment because, again, she's desecrating her uh, her, her family. That, that explains just Incidentally, if you remember in the story we learned early on with Tamar, Tamar was uh, 
Right. Tamar was Tamar was married, and uh, her husbands died, and then she was, uh, you know, she was waiting to, to, to marry uh, one of the other brothers, and uh, all of a sudden she got pregnant. And the problem was over here that she was a daughter of a Kohen, uh, Tamar. And uh, as a result, uh, Yehuda saw that she got pregnant. Therefore, he ruled that she should be burnt. Because again, when a Bat Kohen commits uh, Znut, she's punishable. But again, it was not a case of Znut, ultimately because he was the father. And we know how that turned out. In any event, the Torah has some uh, restrictions. These restrictions apply today. So today, a Kohen cannot marry a divorcee. You have cases of, let's say, I know a guy in Florida, he's a Kohen, and um, he has a couple of children, and he got he got divorced. Okay, you're allowed to get divorced, but now he wants to get remarried. He's an older guy. So go find, a, uh, you have to find a single girl that never got married, who's older, not so easy. Normally, normally older, older you know, people, they, they find a divorcee, but a Kohen doesn't have that luxury. So that's why it's very, very, that's why widow, widow, uh, 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 yes, a Kohen, a regular Kohen can marry a widow. Kohen Gadol is not allowed to marry a widow. So today we don't have Kohanim Gedolim. So yes, a Kohen regular can marry a, a widow. That's a good uh, good point. So that's the uh, that's the learning for tonight. Rezat Hashem will continue learning some of the more laws of the Kohanim. Continue this Mahar. Uh, these learnings are, of course, for the Fuashilema Hayasana, but Simha should have Amen Laila Tov to all our members. And again, Shabbat Tov. Welcome. It's the Shabbat time. Fuashilema Hayasana, but Simha. And we're in Shishia, that of Fuashilema. Amen. And we're in chapter 21. And we are up to Pasuk 10. And this is the story of the laws of Kohen Gadol. So last night we talked about the regular Kohen. He's called Kohen Hedyot. And he has limitations on who he can, you know, become impure to. Although he's allowed to become impure to seven relatives, but he cannot go into a cemetery, he cannot be, uh, you know, ritually impure to strangers. Uh, and we learned also... He has limitations on who he can marry. He cannot marry a divorcee. Uh, he cannot marry a girl that's called the Halala. Halala is a girl that was born from a forbidden marriage. So, for example, let's say a Kohen married a divorcee. That daughter is called the Halala. And therefore, that Halala daughter cannot marry a Kohen. And uh, also, we said a regular Kohen cannot marry a Zona. And Zona, we learned, is somebody that comes from a uh, forbidden marriage. For example, Rabbi, yes. What about a widow? Very good. That's the nice place. A, a regular Kohen can marry a widow. Regular uh -huh. Kohen can. But we're going to learn tonight that a Kohen Gadol cannot marry a widow. That's the high priest. So, and we're going to see exactly why. So that's uh, stay tuned. Uh, so that's a regular Kohen. But here the Pasuk says, Kohen Gadol the Kohen. That is greater than his brothers. That's Kohen Gadol. Ashim Yutzak al Shem and Amishchad. That was, you know, inaugurated with the special oil. Umile et Yado, and he fulfilled his responsibility. The Moshe Tabekadim is wearing 
the eight garments, as we learned previously that the Kohen Gadol wears eight garments. Et rosho lo yifra ubegadav lo yifro. So let's explain this. Normally, God forbid, when somebody dies, so the two laws right away kick in. The person, the person who's mourning is not allowed to take a haircut. He has to let his hair grow, and he must rip his shirt. However, a Kohen Gadol does not become Tamer for any of his relatives. So that means even if his father dies, he still cuts his hair. And he still wears regular clothes. So the Pasuk says, Et rosho lo yifra. He does not let his hair grow. Lo and he does not tear his shirt. And therefore, we have a, a, a law that a Kohen Gadol actually must take a haircut uh, from, from time to time. Actually, every 30 days, the law is a Kohen Gadol must take a haircut. And even if that 30 days is within the time where his father just died, he takes the haircut. Which means there's no mourning period for a Kohen Gadol. He's not allowed to even go where a, uh, a corpse is. That's the law of Ohel Hamet. So, for example, let's say you have a corpse lying, you know, uh, in a funeral. The Kohen Gadol would not be allowed to be in the same building as the as the men. And that still applies still today. Even a regular Kohen cannot be in the same building as the Kohen. Does Kohen Gadol retire? He can retire. And at that point, he drops down to the right. Yeah, once, yeah, once, well, yeah. Once he's not working anymore, it could be he goes back to a regular. So then it says the uh, the met does not the Kohen Gadol does not become tameh the abid un imolo yitama. He does not become tameh not for his father and not for his mother. Now, trivia question: There's one person that a Kohen Gadol can become tameh to. No, not mother, not father, not any of the sister, not brother, not son, not daughter. His wife. Wife. No, no, not wife. No, sorry. No, no other <laughs> That's right. Oh, we got it. The only one he could take care of what's called met mitzvah. Met mitzvah is a corpse that there's nobody that's going to bury you. Like we said last night, you're walking in the middle of the field and there's a corpse lying on the floor. And there's no there's nobody to attend to it. There, the Torah says, even the Kohen Gadol is able to attend. So it's called met mitzvah. But besides that, nobody. Now the Pasuk then comes along and says, He doesn't even leave the temple. You need introductions for that. Normally, God forbid, when a relative dies, let's say somebody's, uh, I don't know, hypothetically, a person's uh, uh, relative dies. At that point, he becomes what's called onen. Onen means he doesn't make exactly no berachot, he can't pray, he's in limbo. A kohen, however, even if he's onen, he still goes to the Beit HaMikdash and works. So basically, he's no onen for kohen gadol. And that's what it's saying in the first that even if his relative dies, he doesn't leave the temple, meaning he continues working. And don't think that if he worked as an onen, his service is going to be profaned. It will not be profaned. The service is considered 
legitimate and totally valid. Because God says he has the anointed oil on him. He is the Kohen Gadol, and therefore there's no, there's no uh, restrictions on him working. Now we're going to discuss which type of girl the Kohen Gadol must marry. Only one option. He's only allowed to take a virgin girl. That's it. So it's a very, very big restriction. Uh, if the girl is not a virgin, he cannot take her. So therefore, uh, let's say she lost her betula for whatever reason. According to many of the rabbis, cannot marry her. Or even if she gets to a certain age where her betulin start to, uh, you know, uh, thin out, uh, no good. So basically, the the, the, the the Torah is telling her she has to be like between 12 and 12 and a half. That's the girl that's most suitable for a, uh, for a Kohen Gadol. Oh, look at this over here. What happened over here? Oh, look at this. This is a cute. <laughs> like we're doing school over here. We've got a prank going on now. Somebody <laughs> like that just on the, on the Zoom over here. Uh -huh. Wow, that's what we do that in the Magna Dei. Now they do it on the Zoom. Okay. Mm -hmm. We did that 30 years ago. They're still doing the same. Tell your principal. 30 years later, they're doing the same schedule. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go back to the Hamash. All right. Anyway, so the Almana, here it is. Almana is a widow. Ugrusha is a divorcee. Halala, let's see. Anybody listening to the show, can you explain to me what a halala is? Woman that sinned? No. Halala? No. Again, the child learn. of a forbidden marriage. Again, again. The child of a forbidden marriage, of a divorce. That's correct. That's correct. Very good. That's the child, the child of a forbidden marriage to a Kohen. For example, a Kohen marries a divorcee. That child, the girl, is called Halala. Why? Because since the Kohen's marriage was forbidden, he cannot marry the divorcee. Now, even though her last name is Cohen, doesn't matter. She's Halala. And therefore, she cannot marry a Kohen when she gets older. Because she's a product of a forbidden Kohen uh, union. Wow. And therefore, a Kohen cannot marry Halala and Zona. Zona, we said, is any... Um, any lady that went with somebody that's forbidden to let's say she went with a goy. Mechalel, the forbidden man, the Shoresh, that, right. right. Okay. That, exactly. That lady, so now she's forbidden to the Kohen. So they were basically the only type of girl a Kohen Gadol can marry, he can only take a, 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 a betula from his people, that's nobody else. So then there's this big there's big uh, questions that we just discussed on this law. Whoever's doing the Dafa Yumi knows that the Gemara went through a lot of uh, discussions exactly on this uh, on this law. Okay, the Torah's come along and saying, if let's say uh, he did marry one of them, so the children yeah. become Aladim. Let's say a Kohen Gadol marries a widow. So therefore, the child will become a halal. Because again, it's forbidden for the Kohen Gadol to marry a widow. Now let's say a regular Kohen marries a widow. It's 100% legal. So therefore, there's no problem. The children are not 
halalim. Almanah is only forbidden to a Kohen Gadol, but Almanah is permissible to a regular Kohen. No, a Kohen does not lose his Kohenah by marrying somebody forbidden. You know, once he divorces and gets rid of her, he, he retains. He does not become a halal. The children become halalim, but the Kohen himself does not lose his status, even though he marries. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you. I'll tell you another case. And this is. Can he do bekat Kohenim at that time? Okay, it's a good question. He cannot. Now, uh, there is another case. It actually happens in the community. It's a, a case like this. So a Kohen cannot marry a divorcee. That we know. Let's say you have a case where a guy was married and he died. And he left his wife childless. Mm. So we say that the brother now has to make you boom, right? Uh. Now, if the brother does not want to make you boom, let's say, so he has to sever the connection by making a ceremony called halitza, right? Halitza. And what is the halitza ceremony? Basically, you have the shoe. We talked about it. She takes off the shoe and she spits in front of him. And then she's free to get married and he's free to get married. The halitza breaks the connection between her and the uh, brother-in-law. Now, what it also does is it makes her as a divorcee. Because halitza is a form of divorce. Because it does break the connection. So wow. this, this lady now... Can't marry Kohen. Exactly. And, wow. uh, and so that's, that, that's, that's important to know. Not that it's such a common case, but it did happen once that, you know, a lady, the rabbis told us she has to make halitza because, you know, that's, that's, she, she, she was in that situation. And then after she made halitza, she started dating a Kohen. And the mm. rabbi said, you can't marry this guy. So you didn't tell it's me. It's not fair, time. really. Yes. Yeah. Well, I agree. <laughs> I agree. agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let, let's, maybe, maybe we should take a vote. Who agrees, <laughs> who, who, who agrees that the Torah is fair or not? No, fair. Not, not technically like that. Very right, fair. right. I got it. I got it. It's not fair, meaning if you're Hazif. Yeah, but also, is there big, uh, you said great Kohanim in these days today, or just no, regular Kohanim? No, that's a good point. Only in the times of the temple there was Kohanim Gedolim. Today we only have regular Kohanim. Okay. Therefore, uh, a lot of these laws of the Kohen Gadol are not going to apply to the Beit HaMikdash. Now the Pasuk says, by the Beit Hashem El Moshe Lemor, the Beit El Aharon Lemor, Ish Mizar Acha Ledorotam, anybody from your family, the future generations, Ashiriye Bomum, if he has a physical blemish, Mum is a blemish. So he's not allowed to bring uh, and serve. So that's called Kohen Ba'al Mum. A, uh, a blemished Kohen is forbidden to serve. And um, the Pasuk comes along and says, because the logic is just like if you had, let's say, a king. So somebody's coming to serve the king. You're not going to bring somebody that's blemished to come serve the king. It's not kavod for the king. You only want to bring in people that are that are uh, that are you know, proper, that are healthy. So therefore, just like you wouldn't bring it to a uh, you know a physical person if he had a blemish, not proper. So then we don't bring it to God. ish asher lo ish iver. I forbid if he's blind or piseach. Piseach means he is lame 
or Harum. Uh, Harum is, he has, uh, uh, his nose is uh, indented. Uh, so obviously he has something, uh, that means he can, he, can, he, can, he can make a straight line between one eye and the next. Mm-hmm. So the nose is deformed in a certain way. Most people cannot make a straight line from one eye to the next. The nose, the bone over there. Right. Right. What is it called in English? It's called bridge. It does not have a bridge. It doesn't have a bridge. Okay, exactly. So just, just go straight across. So that, that's considered a blemish. It's called halum. And then you have osarua. Now, sarua is you have, let's say, one of his limbs is bigger than the other. He has one big eyeball and a small eyeball. Or let's say, uh, you know, one of his legs is bigger than the next. Okay, it's a deformity. Unfortunately, and that uh, doesn't allow him to serve. Or ish ashir yebo shever ragen. He has a broken leg. <clears throat> okay, well that's a temporary blemish because that will that will heal eventually. But when he has the broken leg, he cannot serve. Or shever yad, or he has a broken hand. Or giben. So giben is he has long uh, eyebrows. Right, and, and the eyebrows are like just drooping, drooping over. Okay, now, I, I don't know why that's something you can't. Uh, I do. Right, I don't know why you can't go to the bob and just just cut it. But maybe it's the way his hair grows, it just it flops over, it grows in his face. Or, or duck. Now, what is that? Oh, I think I, I think I would be like a wart. A cataract, a cataract. Yeah, cataract. yeah. yeah so I'm out. I, I, have a, I have a cataract, so it's good. I'm not a blemish. Yeah, I would not be able to serve. He has the cataract in his eye, like the dots uh, in his eye, or something like that. Oh, okay. I'm what out. about what about a lefty? I remember learning that lefties are yes. also right. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> or tabelun, tabelun. What is that? Nabara mebalbelita ayin. Yeah, he has like something in his eye, like either a black dot or white, white that's going across his eye. I guess a white line that goes across his eye. These are all blemishes in the eye. Or it says, God forbid, it says over here, or garab. Garab or yalefet. These are different types of shekhej. It is like boils, different type of warts and boils. and yeah, another one that's called there, Yalefet. Yalefet, is an English word for that? Moist skin. Moist skin? One's dry skin, one's moist skin. Okay, but it's called, it's, it's a skin scurf. discoloration. Again, the scurf. Right, it's, it's a skin discoloration. Yeah. Merowah Ashech. Merowah Ashech is, okay, that's right, can't reproduce, he has an issue in the reproductive uh, organs. Fertility. Yes, it's a fertility issue, exactly. No, has he explained that in English, Joe? No progesterone? Brush testicles. Okay, yeah, well, they, they, yeah, that's, okay, thank you, Mars. Okay. Kol ish asher bo mum mezera aharona kohen, anybody that has this mum from the zera aharona kohen, lo yigash la'akribit yishe Hashem. He cannot come close to bring the... Um, uh, uh, now it means only when the blemish is in him. If it heals, he's, he's back to service. So, so it's like on he's like on the DL. Once he gets better, they reinstate him. They put him back in the lineup. 
not, 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 not all of these are temporary. Some of these are permanent, and of course, he's out for life. But yeah, absolutely. So then he's off the playing field. Right. They take him off the field till, till he cures himself, and they put him back on the, uh, like I said, put him back on the scorecard. He cuts himself while doing the Quran. Medio, he cuts the that, that, that heals. He's out of play. Exactly. But if he cuts a finger off, God, that's not going to grow back. That's going back, as we know. So now let's just finish the pasuk. Lechem Elohav mekotchek kosim mekotchim yochel. However, he's allowed to eat from the korbanot, so he's not allowed to serve with a blemish, but he's allowed to eat from the korbanot. Ach el parochet lo yavod mezbeach lo yigash. He's not even allowed to enter the Beit Hamikdash. Ve'lo yachalet mikdashay ki ani Hashem mekadesham. I am God that's bringing uh, bringing uh, uh, kedusha, and therefore. Uh, He's able to eat all types of korbanot. Uh, he's able to eat korban hatat, which is a high-level korban, a high-level kedusha, and even korban shalamim, which is a, a lower level. He can eat as well, but he cannot sprinkle blood. Remember we learned that Kohen sprinkles blood on the parochet, on Yom Kippur, things like that, or when he brings a korban. He cannot do that service either. He cannot even go out to the outer of his as well. Uh, and if he does that, his service is not valid. Let's say he doesn't listen. He serves, do over. The service does not count. And then the Pasuk ends and says, By the bed, Moshe gave his laws over to Aaron and to his children. Okay, so that was a crash course into some of the laws of Kohanim and the Kohanim Gedolim. Beautiful lesson. And uh, tomorrow night we'll pick it up in chapter 22. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 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 You know, she had status before she married me. But exactly. She, she married down. The same thing happened to my mother. Thank <laughs> God, more. We're doing this for Sadin. And it's Hayasara um, Batsimcha. And uh, we are going to begin. Let's get the right Pesukim first. It's actually something we talked about today in Lawrence. I don't know. Let's get to the Pasuk. Let's see, let's get to the right Pasuk. I'm using a different Hamash. Everybody should okay. mute themselves. Yeah, I'll mute everybody also. No disrespect. Okay, so we're chapter 22. Perechabet. By the Be'er Adonai in Moshe Lemor. So God speaks to Moshe. The Be'er Aharon. Speak to Aharon. Be'er Banav. So this is teaching us over here that the Kohanim um, must refrain from serving in the Beit HaMikdash when they are ritually impure. That's one of the biggest uh, crimes that a Kohen can commit, being impure and going into the temple. And all the more so serving, bringing a Korban. If a korban is brought when the kohen is ritually impure, 
besides that he has a punishment, but the Qurban is invalid as well. And the Torah says, Do not desecrate uh, my name. Uh, now, even if the Kohen brings his own sacrifice, which means not only if he brings somebody else's sacrifice, it's invalid, but he can't even bring his own sacrifice if he is in a state of impurity. Speak to them and say, that any Kohen that brings the holy sacrifices, and he has impurity on him, he gets the serious punishment, the most serious punishment, and that is karet. And that's not only is he not allowed to bring the korban, but he's not allowed even to eat the korban as well. So that's uh, serving and eating. Furthermore, the Torah is telling us, and she points this out, that even if he is pure, but the meat is impure. So he's eating a korban that's impure, so that is also uh, that is also forbidden. Now the Torah comes along and says, "Ish ish mezera aharon vehut sarua." Sarua means he has leprosy, or he's a zab. Zab means he has a impurity coming out of his body. Makodashim no yochal. Again, he cannot eat from the korbanot ad asher yitar until he becomes pure. That means he has to go to the mikveh. Uh, now, not only does he have to go to the mikveh, but he must wait until sunset, as she tells us. Uh, or if he touches a rodent that's impure, a dead animal or a dead uh, creature, that brings him to Tum'ah, or Be'adam, or he touches a corpse, so he's evening, until he goes to the mikveh. Uh, so again, these are all cases of coming in any which way possible. Bottom line, the Torah is coming to tell us he needs purity before he's able to serve. And even if you remember, we learned if he eats something that wasn't slaughtered correctly, that's the pasuk he, the pasuk het, it's called the nevela. Let's say an animal wasn't slaughtered correctly. If a person eats from that animal, besides the fact that he ate not kosher, it also brings the person to Tum'ah. And therefore, if the Kohen ate Nebela, so obviously he's not going to be able to, to serve uh, as well. Now we move on to the next part where it says in Pasuk Yud, lo yochal kodesh. Now we're talking about the laws of Terumah. Now let's review. If you're a Kohen in the olden days and you're able to eat Tiruma, what is Tiruma? Tiruma is that if a person has a field of wheat, he must give 2% of his crop to the Kohen. It's like a gift or a tax, you'll call it. It's called Tiruma. It's holy. Only Kohanim can eat it. So the Pasuk says if you're a Zad, meaning if you're a Levi or you're a Yisrael, you're not allowed to eat uh, Terumah. 
תושב כהן ושכיר לא יאכל קודש. Somebody that lives in the house of a Kohen, just because he lives in the house with him, does not render him permissible to eat terumah. That's called a, a, a toshav. Now, or for example, somebody that works for a Kohen, his employees, let's say, his employees cannot eat terumah. So when he's serving lunch, he cannot serve them uh, terumah as well. That's called toshav. But a Kohen that buys a slave, he buys a slave, then already the slave does eat terumah. Uh, so that's a, a, a difference. Now, what are we talking about? What type of slave? He buys a Kena'anite slave. So he owns that slave. He can feed the slave terumah, but not his workers. He can't give his secretary terumah. But if he buys a slave and he owns it, then he's able to feed. Now, furthermore, he's able to feed his wife to Numa. So this is it. We talk about Shalom Bayit. Rashi says, Eshet Kohen Ochelet Mitruma. Now, why does she eat? Because she is also his acquisition. How does a person get married? He acquires his wife. He gives his wife a coin or he gives his wife a ring. That's an acquisition. It's a kinyam. So therefore, anything that the Kohen acquires can eat terumah. So his slave that he acquires eats terumah. His secretary, he doesn't own the secretary. He doesn't own his workers. They don't eat terumah. His wife, he doesn't own, but <coughs> in the sense that he acquired her through Kiddushin, eats terumah. Obviously, the children of the Kohen also can eat terumah. Now, here's the case we discussed if you remember this afternoon, after the ladies' class. Ubat Kohen. We have a daughter of a Kohen. Okay? Ki Daughter of a Kohen marries a Yisraeli. Marries a Yisrael. So, for example, my wife was a daughter of a Kohen. Dweck family. Prestigious Kohen family. So she is Bat Kohen. And she married me, I'm not from the Kohanim family. I mean, we have a good family, don't get me wrong, but we're not Kohanim. Now, when she was by her father's house, before she got married, if her father would give her Tirumah, she could eat it. She's the daughter of a Kohen. Just like the Kohen could eat Tirumah, he could feed his children. But once she marries Israel, even if it's Rabbi Mansur, even if it's all that, doesn't matter, I'm not a Kohen. And therefore, she cannot eat Tirumah anymore. That means when she goes back to her father's house and they say, oh, I want you to have some tirumah. Sorry, I got married. Who'd you marry? A Yisrael. Oh, you didn't marry a Kohen? You are now uh, disqualified from eating tirumah anymore. Now, Ubat Kohen, now we'll give a different case. Let's say you have a daughter of a Kohen and the daughter of a Kohen becomes divorced from her husband. A different case. She becomes widowed from her husband. And she doesn't have any children. So again, in that case, since she doesn't have any more connection to her husband, the marriage was dissolved and there's no kids connecting them anymore. There's no kids in that marriage. Then it says, She can go back to her father's house. 
bin Uleya, or kin Uleya, like she when she was young, and she's able to eat from her father's house, but only if she doesn't have children. If she has children, even though they got separated, the children connect them, and therefore she cannot go back to eat. The ishki yochal kodesh mushkaga. Now let's say you have a non-Kohen that eats Turumah by mistake. I don't know, he saw bread on the table. He didn't know that that was Turumah, so he ate it. It wasn't intentional. So the Torah says, V'natan v'yasaf hamishito alav v'natan kohen So he has to compensate uh, the Kohen. How does he compensate the Kohen? So let's say he ate fruit. So he has to then give the Kohen the equal amount of fruit. He pays them back according to what he ate. And then they turn into Turumah. And he has to add a fifth. He has to add 20%. That's a penalty for eating the Turumah. So if he ate, let's say, $100 worth of fruit, he's got to add 120 or the Gemara says $125 worth of fruit. And he has to give it back to the Kohen. Now, again, it is an avon. That's why the person has to be uh, very, very, very careful for what he's eating to make sure that he doesn't make this uh, this mistake. One more law. Ish ish mebet Israel menager bi Israel asher yakriv korbano. If the people want to bring a sacrifice, what type of sacrifice? A neder or a nedaba. Now a neder is a vow. Let's say you say, I want to bring a korban. I vow to bring ten sacrifices to the temple. That's called a neder. Or you say, I want to bring a donation. Derzonechem, you bring it willingly. You're not forced to bring these korbanot. They're not mandatory. They're on your own volition. Tamim zakhad has to be a pure, uh, a, a whole animal without a, a blemish. It also has to be um, uh, an animal, a male. It can come from the sheep or it can come from a goat. Those are the choices. Now, Rashid just points out that if you're bringing a goat or a sheep, they have to be complete, no blemishes whatsoever. However, if you're bringing a bird, it does not have to be a male bird, and it doesn't have to be whole. It's only uh, um, uh, invalid if it's missing a limb. But if it's not missing any limbs, even though it has a blemish by the birds, it is okay. Call ashir bomum. Any animal that has a blemish, lo takribu. We're not allowed to sacrifice it. Ki lo It will not be accepted. Or a man that brings a sacrifice to God to take care of a vow that he made. Again, it has to be whole. Now the Torah lists some of the blemishes that happen in animals. If you have the English over there, you can hear the different blemishes. Number one, Averet. What is Averet? Uh, it sounds like it's a type of uh, blindness in the animal. Or shavud. Shavud sounds like uh, something uh, broken, uh, or broken bone. Or harutz. Harutz is uh, the eye is split. Or there's like a blemish in the eye or in the lip. There's like a cut in the lip. 
or yabelet. Yabelet is or like a wart or a pimple or garav. Garav is also a type of discoloration of the of the skin that um, doesn't cure. Uh, you cannot bring them uh, as a uh, korban. Now, if you notice so far, this is the third time the Torah is telling us you can't bring a blemished animal. Why is it saying it three times? So it's telling you three times for three different laws. You cannot consecrate it, you cannot slaughter it, and you cannot sprinkle the blood. If you did any of those three, just by saying, I am consecrating this animal, you didn't do anything, you made an avon. Why? Because it's a, it's a blemish. Or let's say you consecrated it and then you slaughtered it. That's a second avon. You can't slaughter an animal that has a ma'almun. Or if you sprinkle the blood, that's a, sec, that's a third avon. So there are three different uh, sins when it comes to blemishes. You cannot consecrate it, you cannot slaughter it as a kurban, and you cannot sprinkle its blood. Okay, that's it. We'll stop over here. Okay, so we're at Parashat Emor. Again, And we're going to start tonight, chapter 22. And we will start at Pasuk, where we left off last night. Mm, let's start at Pasuk 26. Pasuk says, by the Ber Hashem and Moshe Lemor. Shor Ochesev or Eski Yivaned. Oh, this is a very, uh, very known halacha. Let's say you have an animal that's born, a sheep or a goat. So you have to let it remain with its mother for at least seven days. And from the eighth day on, it's uh, suitable for a um, for a korban. So that's very important. You're not allowed to bring a korban, a sacrifice on an animal that's less than eight days old. And then as she points out, only if it's born, as opposed to a C-section. If the uh, baby of the animal came out in cesarean, so then it's not subject to this law. The second law that we're going to learn tonight is If you have a, an ox or a sheep, you're not allowed to slaughter uh, the mother and the child on the same day. So this law applies to the female parent, which means to the mother. That it's forbidden to slaughter the mother with either the son or the daughter. But it does not apply to the males. So if we were allowed to slaughter the father and uh, the son or the daughter. So that's another law that you have to be careful not to slaughter mother and offspring of the animal on the same day. And in the event that you will bring a uh, Thanksgiving offering. So the the law is that you're only able to eat it on that day. So you only have one day 
to eat it. You're not allowed to leave it uh, left over to the morning. So that's God's God's commandment. So the uh, the Torah is coming to tell you that when you slaughter the animal, you have to have in mind that you can only eat from this animal for one day. So it's coming to tell you that and not only the duration of how long must you eat the animal, but it also tells us that when you slaughter it, you have to have intention that you're only going to eat this animal for the for the proper time. And you should keep my mitzvot So that means So Ushmartim means you have to learn because if you don't study, you're not going to know the laws. So that's what it means, Ushmartim. And then va'asitem means you actually have to perform the mitzvot, which is action. So there's two parts of the Torah. There's the learning, and then there's the performance. So the Torah tells us two words, of ushmartem va'asitem. And then it says, This is the most important pasuk. You're not allowed to desecrate God's name. In Hebrew, we call that hilul Hashem. On the contrary, we have an obligation to sanctify God's name. Now, the, you know, the simple interpretation is don't desecrate my name, meaning do not intentionally um, uh, go against my laws. means you have to be willing to sacrifice yourself and sanctify uh, even your life if it's called for, uh, for God. And there's... Um, Examples that she brings that when a person sacrifices or surrenders himself with the intention to die, that's Kiddush Hashem. Uh, because if anybody surrenders themselves, al menatanis, you know, assuming, oh, I'll surrender myself because I know God will make a miracle for me. That's not considered surrendering yourself. God is not going to make a miracle for him. When Hananyam, Mishael, and Azirah, those are three Sadiqim. They were thrown into a fiery furnace, and they had no idea that God was going to make a miracle for them. Now, ultimately, God did, but they had no intention for that. Or when Abraham was thrown into the fiery furnace of Ur-Kazim, he had no idea that God was going to make a miracle. He thought that he was going to die. So then that's considered the Mesirut Nefesh. So that she says, Shalom Masru Asman al And therefore, they're considered as if they gave their lives up for God, even though they ultimately got saved. And Hashem, God promises that if you make a Kiddush Hashem, I will give you reward. And then God reminds us, I am the God that took you out of the slime. Now, we get to the chapter of 23, which is called Parashat Mo'adot. Parashat Mo'adot is the parashah of the holidays. So now we're going to go through the calendar of the year. So these are the festivals that we designate them as holy days. These are the these are the days. Now that she says, uh, speak to the people and tell them that we must make appointed holidays. Uh, the Jewish people uh, should have. Uh, 
שמעברים את השנה. There are certain times that it's called upon us, uh, let's say, to uh, add, add a 13th month in order to make the holidays in the right time. Uh, which means sometimes they leap a month if, let's say, the Jews outside of Israel are having a hard time getting to Jerusalem for the holiday because they have to get to Jerusalem for Pesach. So when the rabbis saw that it's whatever the reason is, the roads aren't good or there's certain delays. So if they're not going to delay the month, the Jews in the exile and diaspora will not get to Yerushalayim. So they would make a, a leap year and that would give them an extra month to continue, uh, to, continue, to continue traveling. And that's the responsibility of the, of the Bedin in order to, you know, uh, to monitor the situation to see exactly if um, if it calls for them to add an additional month. Which means the goal is to have as many people as you can from the Jewish people in Yerushalayim. So if they do see that, you know, the people are not getting there, they need more time, so that would be a cause uh, in order for them to uh, add a month. Now the Pasuk says, Six days you shall do work. And on the seventh day, it's Shabbat Shabbaton, which is Shabbat. It's a holy day. Do not do work. So it sounds like that the first of the holidays is Shabbat. Now she says, what is Shabbat doing next to the holidays? That anybody that desecrates the holidays it's like it was Mechalel Shabbat. It's a very important law, as she said, because a lot of people come and think that, oh, the holidays, it's not so important. Because anyway, we're allowed to cook and we're allowed to carry. So then you see people, God forbid, using telephones, turning on lights, turning off lights. And then Yom Tov becomes very uh, light in the eyes in Cholam as well. Cholam is a holiday. Although we're allowed to do certain things, but there's a lot of restrictions as well. So therefore, that, that she's coming to say the reason why the Torah introduces the holidays with Shabbat is to come and tell us that if you mehalil the Shabbat, the Yamin Tovim and the Mu'adim, which is the Hula Mu'ed, it is tantamount to being mehalil Shabbat. But the good news is that anybody that keeps the holidays, ma'alim alav kidu kiyemet Shabbatot, it's as if he kept the uh, Shabbat. Now, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, I'll tell you how the Gaume Vilna learns this pasuk. He says that there are, the Yamim Tovim were allowed to do melacha, meaning we're allowed to cook, and we're allowed to carry, as opposed to Shabbat. Now, how many Yamim Tovim are there on the calendar? So we have, let's say in Israel, we're talking about, you have the two days of Rosh Hashanah, because they have two days in Israel also. You have the first day of Sukkot and the last day of Sukkot. And then you have uh, the first day of Pesach and the last day of Pesach. And then you have one day of Shavuot. Now let's count Rosh Hashanah as one day, because the Gemara says that Rosh Hashanah is considered uh, one long day. 
So altogether, we have six days of Yamim Tovim that you're allowed to do work. One Yom Tov, which is Kippur, you're not allowed to do work. Kippur is like Shabbat. And Kippur is actually referred to in the Torah as Shabbat Shabbaton. So the Gaon of Vilna learns the Pasuk like this. Sheshet Yamim Ta'asem Melacha. Six days of these holidays are permissible to do work. The six days are Rosh Hashanah, again, two days of Pesach, two days of Sukkot, and one day of Shavuot. However, Ubayom HaShibi'i, the seventh day, which is Kippur, Shabbat Shabbaton, that's called Shabbat Shabbaton, and even though it's a Yom Tov, it's considered like Shabbat. And therefore, we're not allowed to cook on Yom Kippur and not allowed to carry. So therefore, according to the Gaon of Vilna, it's actually referring to the Yamim Tovim. So therefore, it's a perfect introduction to the Hagim. Okay, now let's uh, read uh, the, uh, the first holiday. These are the holidays uh, that you shall uh, call the holiness. That you should call them and designate them in their proper time. The first month. first month is not January. The first month is Nisan. Uh, on the 14th of the month, that's called Erev Pesach, Bena Arbaim. Bena Arbaim means in the afternoon, meaning from six hours on, which is at sun, sunrise at six o'clock, six hours later is 12 o'clock, so from midday. Uh, Pesach means it's time to bring the Qurban Pesach. That's what they did on the 14th. And then it says, um, on the 15th, so it's the holiday of Matzot. We eat Matzah for seven days. On the first day, it's Yom Tov. We're not allowed to do work on the first day. And we bring special Qurbanot. Uh, that's the Qurban Musaf that we bring. If you want to know what the Qurbanot are, she says, go to Parashat uh, Pinehas. And uh, it's coming to tell you that uh, you must bring them on the seven days uh, of the holiday. And then it says, Avodah, on the seventh day, which is the last day of Pesach, it's also Mikra Kodesh, it's a holiday, and we're not allowed to do Melacha uh, as well. Now, Melechet Avodah, she says um, that even though Cholam Mo'ed, it's permissible to work, but not all type of work. Uh, when it comes to Cholam Mo'ed, we are only allowed to do work where uh, it would incur a loss, which is called Avar Ha'aved. But um, outside of Davar uh, Ha'aved, even labor, uh, would be uh, forbidden. When you come to the land, so it says that you're going to cut the uh, the wheat, the harvest. You're going to cut the wheat. So we must bring the uh, first harvest, uh, the first cutting of the harvest. We must bring it to God. That's called Qurbana Omer, which is brought 
on the second day of Pesach. The first of the harvest, the Kohen makes tenufa. He waves the Omer uh, in front of uh, Hashem. It means he goes up and down and he goes across and he brings it Memachorat uh, Shabbat. Shabbat means the first day of Yom Tov. That means Memachorat Shabbat, the second day. Second day of Pesach, Yenifenu HaKohen. And then it says, V'asitim beyom anifichim et ha'omer, keves tamimit shenatum, doing a special sacrifice called Korban ha'omer, and umen hato, and it comes with a meal offering of shnei esronim of flour, uh, with some oil, uh, and some wine as well. Now, there is a, a law that I will discuss with you now, that the Torah is going to tell us. And for some reason it's neglected, and it really shouldn't be neglected. The law is like this. On the second day of Pesach, they brought this special korban called Omer. It was made out of barley. It's the first barley that they, that they cut, and they bring it as a sacrifice. Now, the Torah law says that we're not allowed to eat uh, any products of wheat uh, until we bring the Qurbana Omer. Once the Qurbana Omer is brought, we're allowed to eat now from the, from the crop, from the new crop. Now, anything that grows after the second day of Pesach, we have to wait for next year till the Omer is brought, and then we can eat it. So you cannot eat any of the new crop, which is called Hadash, until this Omer is brought. Once the Omer is brought, then whatever is already grown in the fields is called yashan. It's old, and then becomes permissible. So let's say you have, before Pesach, you have all the wheats in the field, they grew already, and uh, now they cut them, and they're making spaghetti, and they're making doughs, and they're making cakes, and they're making all these good things. Uh, let's say, the goods were on the shelves in the supermarkets in December. But one is not allowed to eat from those products because the second day of Pesach did not pass yet and they didn't bring the Qurban Omer. Once the second day of Pesach comes and goes, now all those products from the previous year's crop becomes permissible. So for example, um, let's say now we're ready after Pesach. So today, when you go to the supermarket, you can buy any product. You don't have to be concerned because the second day of Pesach came and went. However, the concern is going to be, and let's say in September or October, where now the new crop is going to come out. And that new crop has not been uh, satisfied by the second day of Pesach. The second day of Pesach only covers what's before it, not what's after it. So therefore, that product is going to be forbidden. So I mean, people don't know about this, but they go to the stores and they just buy any spaghetti because they say it has OU on it, or has kashrut. But really, according to the Sefaradim, one should be uh, careful in this law. It's called Yashan. And uh, again, I can't explain to you why it's neglected. The Shulchan Aruch is, is very, very strict on it. He said it's, a, it's forbidden from the Torah. It applies even in our time. It applies even outside of Israel. And 
according to Shohan Ruch, it's considered, uh, you know, an issue of kashrut. And today, thank God, there are supermarkets that do have, you know, yashan products, and there's no reason why we shouldn't be careful. Now, it's easy to talk about it now because you don't have to worry about it now. You never have to worry about yashan immediately after Pesach. So you don't have to worry about it now in April, May, June, July, August, September, maybe you have to start. So for six months, it's really not an issue. But the concern is that once, uh, um, once the new product, the new crop starts to come on the shelves, you're going to have to be concerned. And there's different books that they have that give you different codes that you could read so you could know exactly, if you look at the product, there's a barcode, and the barcode will tell you when exactly it was planted. So you can know if it's you know an old product or a new product, and then you can know if it's Yashan or not. But again, like I said, there's some supermarkets that make it much easier. It's not a stringency. Uh, I want to make that clear. According to Sferadim, it's, uh, it's just as much as law as all the other laws of Kashrut. And that's that's what the law is in this week's Perashah. That on the second day of Pesach, they bring the Korban. Omer, that even though today we don't bring the Korban, but it's true. But the Torah says that if you're not going to bring the Korban, so then you just have to wait for the second day of Pesach to pass. Now, in the olden days, you needed the second day of Pesach with the Korban. Today there's no Korban. You just rely on the day pass. So, again, it's something that it's definitely worth your consideration looking into and talking about it with your uh, kashrut advisor. And, uh, again, now, again, now's the time to talk about it because you really don't have to worry about it. So if we have time to understand the concept, talk about it, maybe learn a little about it, find out the different products that are in issues. I'm just raising it because, uh, again, it's a, it's a Torah law. And again, as I said, I'm uh, shocked that so many people just make believe it doesn't exist. And, they don't, they don't pay attention to it, but it's just as much as Torah law as eating pig or all these other things. So therefore, it's definitely worth your consideration. Okay, that's tonight's perashah and a little advice. Uh, tomorrow night we'll continue this, God willing. Meantime, uh, we're hoping that uh, we should always get good news for Sarin, that Hashem should get a little better, which I think she is. Haya Sarah Basimcha, the learning is working. And we should continue our uh, efforts. It's definitely paying off uh, fruits. So, a learning for Hayasana Batsimcha. And we're at the story of Parashat Emor, and we're in the Parashah of the holidays. <clears throat> so, last night we ended talking about the Korban that was brought on the second day of Pesach. So now we're up to Pasuk Tedva, very uh, timely Pasuk. You should start counting on the day after Shabbat. And what are you counting? On the day that you bring the Korban Omer, which is the second day of Pesach, you should start counting seven complete weeks. And that is what we're doing now. We're counting Sefirata Omer. And we learned from here that they should be complete. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean, complete weeks? Complete weeks means that you should try to count right in the beginning of the night. To catch the beginning of the night so it's a complete seven weeks. You shouldn't count 
later than earlier, preferably once the time comes, count at the beginning of the night so that it'll be you know, complete, that you're counting at the earliest time. Now the Torah says that you count on the day after Shabbat, the Mahorat Shabbat. Now this is a rare example that Shabbat does not mean the regular Shabbat. It means Yom Tov. Sometimes, uh, rarely, but the Torah will call uh, Yom Tov Shabbat. So here it's saying you should start counting the Omen on the day after Shabbat, meaning on the second day of the holiday, the day after Yom Tov. Keep in mind, in Israel, they only have one day of Yom Tov. So therefore, they start counting in Israel the Omen on the first day of Cholamoed, where we're counting on the second day of Yom Tov. And that's counting seven complete weeks. Ad mimachorat shabbat until mimachorat uh, shabbat until after the uh, uh, the day after the seventh week, which is the day after the seventh week is the 50th day which is the holiday of Shavuot. So basically you're counting 49 complete days, up and in, including the seventh week. And then you have uh, you'll count 50 days, actually counting 49 days. It's the 50th day automatically um, is Shavuot. So it's up until and not including. Uh, we're counting up to 50, but not including 50. Now, on that day, we have to bring a korban. Now, we're going to talk about the korban that's brought on Shavuot. I don't know if anybody came to the class today in the shul. We talked about this. It was the theme of our Pirkei Avot class. But the Torah calls it a minha hadasha. So let's explain this tonight. It's called a new minha, a new offering. Now, what's new about it? What, what, what makes it new? Uh, so Rashid tells us because it's the first offering that we bring from the new crop. <clears throat> That's why it's called the new offering. It's the first offering from the new crop. But Rashid asks a very strong question. It's not the first offering. Remember, we learned on the second day of Pesach, they brought the Korban Omer. That's also an offering. So that was the first one. How can you say that Shavuot is Minha Hadasha when they brought already a Minha on uh, the second day of Pesach? So that she says something beautiful. He says that actually it depends on the ingredients. Which type of Minha did they bring on the second day of Pesach? What was it made out of? It was made out of barley. It's called Se'orim. And that's not a typical minha. Typical minha is made out of wheat. Now, even though barley is a type of wheat, but it's not, you know, the primary. The primary is the wheat that we know, kita. Uh, so therefore, it doesn't count as an official minha. The first minha that's brought in a conventional way, meaning as a minha of wheat, is brought on Shavuot. Now, of course, the question is, so why do we bring barley on the second day of Pesach and then wheat on Shavuot? Okay, that you're going to have to come to the Shabbat morning class in the shul, and we're going to give a whole derash to explain that. <clears throat> but for our purposes, this is just a Hamash Rashi class. We understand now why it's called Minha Hadasha, because it's the first wheat korban that's brought in the Beit HaMikdash. 
Now, I will tell you something else, that just like we learned last night, that on the second day of Pesach, when you bring the Korban Omit, it allows the people to start eating the new crop. That means all the wheat that was harvested and grew and harvested before Pesach becomes permissible to eat the second day of Pesach, once the Korban Omit is brought. Now, like we said last night, you can go to the store and buy all the spaghetti you want, that's their shine and stuff. Exactly. So the, the korban that's brought on Shavuot allows us to now bring the new crop of wheat in the temple, which is until Shavuot, you can't bring any new wheat in the temple. You can only eat it in your homes. What allows us to bring wheat into the temple from the new crop? The korban that's brought on Shavuot. So the korban of the second day of Pesach and the korban of the, of the, of the day of Shavuot have something in common. They're both allowing the new crop to be uh, consumed. It's just that the Qurban of Pesa allows the individual to consume the new crop, and the Qurban of Shavuot allows the temple to accept now the new crop on the Mizbeah. And the Torah says, You must bring this uh, wheat on Shavuot from Eris Israel. You're not allowed to export. It's got to be wheat that was cut from a field in Eretz Israel. And what do you do with this wheat? You turn it into lechem tenufa shetayin. So you turn it into two loaves of bread. It's called Salah. Yeah, bread, lechem, loaves of bread. It's called shteha lechem. And it is bikurim. Bikurim literally means it is the first. Rashi says, lishona lechol menachot. It is the first of all the offerings that are brought in the uh, in the bet uh, in the bet hamikdash. It's the first meal offering. There's only one other minha uh, offering that's brought out of Bali. Anybody know which minha is brought out of Bali? Besides the Omer of the second day of Pesach, which Minha is brought out of Bali? Saurim. Two Bishvat. They have something with Bali. No, it's not. No. The, the Minha that's brought, there's no two Bishvat Kurban. The, the Kurban that's brought out of Bali is the Azaka Baruch, the Minhat Sota. That when a lady is under suspicion from a husband, so in order to find out if she. Uh, committed the sin of infidelity or not, they bring her to the Mikdash, she has to drink the waters, and she brings what's called Minhat Sota. And the Minhat Sota is, is, is an exceptional Minhat that's brought primarily uh, from barley. And the law is like this. We're not allowed to bring any Minahot, even barley Minahot, like the Minhat of the Sota, until we bring the Shavuot Minhat. So really, that is the Bikurim. Bikurim means it is the first. And as she says, You cannot bring new uh, crop as a minha. Now, even though we brought barley already on the Omer, that does not allow us to bring any other barley korban until we bring the Shavuot. So Shavuot Kurban is actually very, very significant. It actually allows us to bring from the new crop of whatever grain it is in the 
in the temple. And now it says, which means as a result of bringing the breads, so we have to bring also some korbanot, that's seven uh, uh, unblemished lambs, and a bull, and two rams. Uh, that's brought with the uh, and a goat for a hatat, for Okay, those are all these sacrifices that are brought on Shavuot. Uh, now, it says over here, So the Torah says that uh, we have to actually take the meat of the uh, korban, or the parts of this korban, and we wave it. That's called tenufa. So this is a special service that's done. It's called the service of tenufa. Again, you're taking the, the parts of the korban shelamim, and they cut, they cut it up, obviously, and the kohen has to wave it. Melamed shetoanim tenufa mehayim. Oh, this is done even when the sheep is, uh, is still alive. Wow, so that's a big job. He has to lift the sheep up and he has to wave it, you know, up and down and back and forth. So only the two sheep he has to wave. And the concept of the waving is, because this is going to bring berachat to B'nai So it's like he's waving the korban to bring the, 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 the shefa, the, the bounty from heaven, and bringing it down and then spreading it all over B'nai Israel, and it gets rid of bad spirits and uh, negative, uh, uh, you know, uh, energies and so on and so forth. And now the pasuk says, "Ukratem be'etzem ayom azeh," the day of Shavuot. You're going to call it a holy day, and it's forbidden to do work on the day of Shavuot. And kol avodah ta'asu ukatam kumosh motechem ledorotechem. Okay, so that is the um, Shavuot holiday. Now the Torah goes off on a tangent. Since we talked about cutting the uh, wheat in order to bring this special korban on Shavuot, we say that that when you are going to uh, harvest your land, you're not allowed to cut the corners of the land. You have to leave the corners of the land for the aniim. So that is the law of Pe'ah. And um, the question over here is that Pe'ah is something that belongs to the poor people. Now, why are we digressing? We're in the middle of the laws of the holiday over here. Why are we now talking about the mitzvah tzedakah? I mean, this is already now a total digression. So that she comes along and says... Why are you mentioning giving uh, 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 the entitlements to the poor people uh, next to the holidays? You have Pesach and Shavuot were mentioned, and then you have Sukkot going to be mentioned over here. So right in the middle is Sedaka. Two holidays were mentioned, Sedaka and then Sukkot. Why? And then you have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur also, by the way, are going to be mentioned. So what's the uh, what, what's the reason? 
מעלין עליו, כאילו בנה בית המקדש, והקריב קורבנותיו בתוכו, לקסטנים. Whoever gives money to the עניים, especially before the holiday, so they can make holiday, which is the most important time of the year to make sure that the עניים have food for the holidays, because things are expensive, God considers it as if you brought all the sacrifices in the temple that are mentioned. It's like you brought all the sacrifices of Pesach, and Shavuot, and Noshanah, and Kippur, and Sukkot. This is in the middle. God says, I'll consider it as if whatever's to the right of it, and whatever's to the left of it, is if you did it. But mm-hmm. even, even more, God says, no, I'll, consider it, I'll consider it as if you built the Beit HaMikdash, and you no. brought these Korbanot inside. So look how important it is. We cannot never neglect the impoverished. People sometimes, they come and they're so worried they're making the holiday and they, you know, which is a big thing to do, but the Arizal says that when a person, for example, comes into the uh, sukkah, so you invite the ushpizin, you know, the guests that come to the uh, sukkah, the Zohar says if you don't give money to the Aniyim, the ushpizim don't show up. Abraham says, you're, you're sitting and enjoying yourself in your sukkah and you didn't give money to the poor people before the holiday so they can sit in the sukkah and they can have a meal, not coming to your sukkah. So the Zohar HaKadosh says that on the first day of Sukkot, we give money to the Anim in honor of Ramabinu, So he shows up. And the second day we give in honor of Yitzchak. So he's supposed to give Siddhaqah in honor of Yushpizim. And Pesach, the same thing. Uh, Pesach, we actually invite them to say that Now, although you know, by that time, all the Anim are probably in somebody's house when you're inviting them already in the middle of your Siddhaq. But the point is, you have to give out money before a holiday to make sure the Anim have the provisions. And Shavuot as well. And Rosh Hashanah, you wouldn't believe it, but the Navi talks about that the old custom on Rosh Hashanah was to give Mishloach Manot to the poor people on Rosh Hashanah. When you hear Mishloach Manot, you say, oh, Purim. But the Navi said, no. You're supposed to give out gift bags to the poor people with bread and goodies and meat and all different things before Rosh Hashanah. And that's a, that's a, great, a, great lesson, a great lesson to learn that even when you're making a wedding or you're making parties, you should always remember that when you're celebrating for yourself, you put money on the side and you give to the Aniyim. And that's what Torah is saying, that people who don't forget the impoverished, God will consider it as if you brought not one sacrifice. God will consider it as if you built a temple and you brought all the sacrifices of the holidays. All right, that's this offering of tonight. We did good. Baruch Hashem, it's uh, uh, Thursday night again. It seems it's always Shabbat. Now, next week we have a challenge in about time because God willing, my plan is to go to Israel on Motzei Shabbat. And uh, I will land in Israel let's say at 5.30 in the afternoon. What is it, seven hours back or six hours back? So if that's the case, 10 o'clock at night is 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 in the morning. 5.15 in the morning, I'll be in shul already. I won't be sleeping. Don't suspect me. I won't be sleeping. I'll be in shul. So now we'll have to figure out maybe to get a uh, substitute for next week's parasha. So the class will... Yeah, my boys are with me, so I have to get A.B. Kassin or maybe Mark. Okay, stay tuned. We will have a class on Sunday night. Uh, again, just because we're traveling doesn't mean that uh, 
that Sarin doesn't need a refuah. We have to keep it up under all circumstances. So again, our members should still attend. And maybe I'll surprise you uh, for a guest appearance uh, if the times work out. In the meantime, I'll have regards from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yuhai and Miron for all of you. And we'll pray over there for all our members. You deserve the prayers for joining this class. Amen. Thank you.